Welcome to the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. It's a podcast that amplifies the voices of people with multiple chemical sensitivity or MCS and highlights emerging research about the illness. The focus of this episode is safer sex and MCS. It's a topic that doesn't get enough attention, but we know for folks with MCS, chemicals can really complicate this part of our lives. So in this episode, we explore themes around safer sex and asking partners, whether they're new or longer term, to not use chemicals that can make us ill. We're also exploring the topic of safer sex toys because there's a long history of companies making toxic ones, but it's possible to find sex toys that help us protect our health. I'm speaking with two people with a ton of knowledge about safer sex and multiple chemical sensitivity. First, you'll hear from Rachel Rose. She's a certified sex and relationship coach and educator. She's chronically ill, has MCS, and identifies as queer, neurodivergent, and polyamorous. As a coach, she specializes working with chronically ill and disabled folks. I'll post links so you can find out more about Rachel's work. In the second part of this episode, I'm speaking with Jack Lehman. He's the longest serving member and worker owner at Come As You Are. It's an anti-capitalist, feminist cooperative in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Kaya sells products connected with sexual pleasure, health, and education. I reached out to Jack and invited him to speak about safer sex toys for people with multiple chemical sensitivity. I'll also post links to Come As You Are. I hope you enjoy these conversations. We release new episodes twice a month. The best way to never miss one is to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoy these conversations. Rachel Rose, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Folks will have heard me read your bio, but would you like to let people know a few things about you and your work? Sure. Um, so I am a chronically ill uh, and disabled sex and relationship coach and educator, and I talk a lot about disability and how that interacts with sexuality, especially from a perspective of somebody who like a chronic illness perspective through my own lived experience. And I have severe chemical and fragrance sensitivities that I've developed over the last decade or so. I'm sorry to hear that, but it's also helpful for listeners to know where you're coming from. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. And so the theme of this episode is about sex and relationships. And I wanted to start off by asking you about some strategies that you might suggest for folks who have fragrance and chemical sensitivities so they can partake in sex and enjoy it and stay safe as much as possible. And so we're talking about avoiding triggers. Do you have any tips on, I know it's a pretty big question, but any tips for folks about how to stay safe? So I will start off by saying like, this is a challenge for everybody, right? I think it's important to acknowledge that having fragrance and chemical sensitivities is a, is a challenging thing to navigate in the world we live in. It's, it's a challenge anytime you need to interact, especially with other people, but especially when it comes to dating and relationships for some good ways to try to navigate things. It does vary heavily. Obviously everybody with chemical sensitivities has a little bit of a difference to it. So I can speak from my own experience. I know that there are people out there who have far less significant sensitivities and far more significant sensitivities. So it's obviously a wide spectrum. Were you thinking more like going out and meeting a new person or are you talking more about like established relationships or like right. somebody developing a sensitivity it's important to make a differentiation between the two because they're kind of different and so let's talk about them which one do you want to start with 
So let's start. Let's just start with established relationships. And I think that what you have, what we have as far as navigating established relationships, kind of surpasses just dating and romantic relationships into friendships and like navigating things with family members. I think coworkers is kind of a little bit of a different type of relationship that has to be navigated maybe slightly differently. But like the close personal relationships, I think a lot of them have a lot of overlap. And I think that it can be really helpful, especially if it's like it's something that you've acquired uh, in the time that you've known the person. So that there was a point of time where they knew you as a person who didn't have these sensitivities. And I think that sometimes people can have a harder time getting on board with it when it's something that like, oh, but you were fine with this hairspray last time I used it. There's like, I don't know if it's some cognitive dissonance there that people are like not really sure how these things have just manifested, um, much like the people experiencing it are also really not sure how these things happen sometimes. But I think that trying to explain to them, to explain to people in general is that one, it's not the smell that's making me sick. It's the chemicals that create the smell. So if it's just, quote unquote, a little perfume or something you put on that morning or it was on your clothes from a previous day, it's not because it's, I can still smell it, that's an issue. It's the chemicals that it's off-gassing. And two, it's not actually the scent itself. It's not that I think somebody smells bad. It's that they're what they're wearing is making me sick. So that's an important thing that I think helps people understand a little bit better. I think it's fair to be patient to a degree, but at some point when people aren't respecting your boundaries and your safety, you do have to get a little bit more firm. It's ideal when that doesn't happen and nobody really wants to have the confrontation, especially around a topic that none of us have chosen to, to be a part of. That's where it gets a little bit tricky, especially with intimate partners and relationships where you may be living together. You really need their buy-in more than, than anybody else. You know, um, I only see my family every so often, but the person I live with, I see daily. So it can be really difficult just repeating what I'm hearing you saying, that with established partners, when the chemical sensitivity wasn't present at the outset of the relationship, it can be difficult to bring people on board because they might mm -hmm. respond and say, when we first got together, you didn't have a problem. So where did this come from? Is that something you hear in your practice, people coming to you with these challenges of being believed or getting partners to support them or accommodate them? I sadly have heard both from the work that I do and from attending other conferences or chronic illness or disability focused events, talking to other people who may have similar sensitivities, that there are a lot of partners out there who just don't respect or understand or even I've heard some really horrific examples of people using it as a way to quote unquote show that they were upset with their partner. I've read in Facebook groups, someone saying that when their partner's upset, they wear which is horrific and harmful. And, and I think there's a case you made for calling that abusive. More often it's somewhere in the middle where people just don't understand. There's a, a good amount of education that's needed to kind of explain to a partner. One, to explain why somebody might be responding, right? Because you were saying that some would be like, you didn't react to this before. Why is it happening now? Why are you allergic to this now? So I think that explaining like some background information, and I know that you've, I've listened to a few of the other episodes and I know that there's a lot more um, information that's been shared in there, but some of the information about fragrances that's, you know, they're often not tested for safety. They are harmful, honestly, to, to pretty much everybody. It's just a challenging thing to prove on a legal end to get them prohibited. And in the United States, especially, it's particularly chemical friendly in the sense that they don't have to do much to be allowed to sell it, if anything at all. And kind of understanding the background of how these things might be impacting different people. There's some good documentaries out there now that might be helpful to watch with a partner. And then hearing it from a source that's not you is often really helpful. 
I'm not ever, I'm not sure if you've ever tried to give like a, a significant partner or significant other, like a movie recommendation and they're like ignoring it from you. Oh, it's like, you know, hearing it from your mom. Oh, it's special. It's nice. You hear it from a friend at work and suddenly they're like dragging you out to see the exact same movie you were trying to get them to see. So sometimes just hearing it from a source, that's not you. I tend to find that it sometimes helps the people around me, but it kind of depends on the individual. So I think that kind of explaining or answering some of their questions. Why is it happening now? Well, these things can build up over time and you can become sensitive to it. You know, we don't culturally talk about the fact that people can develop sensitivities at any time in their life to virtually anything. I was surprised to learn that personally. Reminding people that you didn't choose this, that it's not a personal preference, I think is also helpful. And it's semantics, but it does matter. And I think it helps change how people look at it, framing it as a, an option rather than a you know necessity and a safety issue, then I think sometimes people are in their heads, they have it framed differently. Right. And I've heard it said that what happens in the bedroom is a metaphor for what happens in the wider relationship, right? So do you, do you see that? Like if some, if it's difficult to ask for what you need in terms of safety from chemicals accommodation in the bedroom, is that perhaps reflective of maybe something that's happening more generally in the relationship? So I think that it's very indicative. If people aren't taking care of your safety or aren't concerned with your well-being in other respects, it's probably going to translate into the bedroom too. I can't imagine that somebody who wasn't caring about your well-being, your safety, how much you were able to enjoy your life or living at home comfortably is going to be super concerned with you enjoying yourself in other situations either, including and perhaps especially sex. So I think that while it's obviously not a simple thing, I think sometimes that when somebody develops significant health issues, that that can often lead to like a shift in, what you, in, in relationships. And obviously it's not simple. Relationships often lead to available housing, financial stuff, children may be involved. There are, I mean, there's countless other factors as well. If you've tried all the different things and someone isn't being respectful of your boundaries and is not concerned with your safety, you deserve to be in a relationship where your safety is a priority your comfort and your enjoyment and what you're able to do with your life as far as your partner can help you have a better, like more safe and comfortable lifestyle. Because there's still a lot of misunderstanding and misdiagnosis around chemical sensitivity, sometimes I know for myself, even I feel anxious about asking for accommodation. Do you have any suggestions perhaps for people to, is it just a matter of drumming up the courage to really ask for what one needs, you know, or other specific ways of framing a request that you might be able to recommend? So I think asking for what you need in general is an extremely good skill set. Those skills definitely carry over to the bedroom since, you know, we are talking about sexuality. It, it takes practice, especially people who are assigned female at birth, generally, especially, and, and this happens for a lot of people, regardless of gender, uh, are not particularly socialized to be comfortable asking for what you need. And so I think that that's something that's not going to happen overnight because it's something you probably haven't done for many years. Start small, get, you know, and keep doing it because it's important and it also can make for better relationships in general, right? Even if outside of sensitivities, your partners, unfortunately, do not have the ability to read your mind. So asking for what you want and what you need is a really great way to get closer in your relationships, to have more clear communication, and to be able to like meet each other's needs better in, in whatever way you're able to, or to be honest about the fact that you're not able to meet a specific need. I think when it comes to asking for what you need as far as sensitivities, it's tricky. I, I personally also experience a lot of anxiety about it. No matter how many times I do it, and I, I probably do it I, every single day, countless times, because you really can't interact with another human without asking for some level of accommodation when you have severe sensitivities. I would say the majority of the time I get positive responses, or at least not negative ones, 
but there have been those times where they it hasn't gone well and those things leave a mark, I think. Framing it as an accessibility issue, as, an, as a medical accommodation, that language I think can be helpful. It is a disability for most folks, depending on the severity. I mean, obviously people can identify how they feel most comfortable, but it is something that generally is a huge barrier to living your life in a way that you would otherwise. So in my mind, that would constitute a disability. And so using that language can be helpful because it it shows the gravity of the situation. I tend to be somebody who apologizes far more than I should, especially for asking for medical um, assistance. I always feel really bad when I have to ask my partner sh to shower for the third time because it still smells like fragrances from the person they were next to at work or you know something else. And you have to have a partner who's willing to, to accommodate you in order to make it work. There's not really a way to ask if the person is completely unwilling to be helpful or accommodating because unfortunately, they need to also be a participant in keeping you safe in order for you to be able to spend that time together. But I do think that framing it along the lines of accessibility and it being medically necessary and it not being a personal preference is, is a helpful way to, to get started with that. You've written a very detailed and helpful, what you've titled a beginner's guide to fragrances and chemical sensitivities on your website. And we'll definitely link that for listeners. I think it's a good resource for folks if they want to share with partners, would you say? I think so. It's I, I wrote it for a number of reasons. It's something that um, I got a lot of questions about because I, I'm quite public about the fact that I have these sensitivities uh, and I try to speak up and advocate for myself and for you know the other 30% of people who have some level of chemical sensitivities. So people would come to me with like looking for certain fragrance-free options or because they didn't fully understand something and to save myself the time and to have a link to send people so they could do a little bit of their own homework about how to accommodate me, I, I wrote the article. So I think it's helpful for a wide range of people. I kind of wrote it as generally as possible. There's a tiny bit of background about like the why chemicals can be an issue for certain people. And I broke down some of the stuff that I keep hearing from people like my mother who keeps buying clear hand soap and wondering why the clear hand soap isn't also fragrance free um, because it said natural on the bottle or it was clear. And so that like was, you know, mentally it not having a color made her think it was also fragrance free. There can be a lot of tricky stuff in packaging. So it helps people navigate that. I think it's good for partners and anybody else in your life. What kind of barriers do you think chemical sensitivity presents for folks with MCS? So just anecdotally in one of the online groups that I'm part of around MCS, someone shared that they've never been able to have intimate relationships because of reactions to the products that people use. How do you view the, the level of severity of this issue? I think that there are literally countless ways this presents issues for people because we live in a society where I think, and I might be a little bit off on the statistics, but I think it was like 96 or 97% of all personal care products contain fragrances. Some mashup of like 4,000 different chemicals and unknown quantities, and it's impossible to avoid. Even in my own home, I know that there's things that I have to keep in the garage or I keep outdoors because it's something that was necessary, but also makes me sick. So obviously that trickles down to anything intimate as well. It, when you want to interact with other humans, they really have to be agreeable and accommodating in that sense to make it something that you're able to be a participant in. And obviously that varies a little bit based on how severe your sensitivities to whatever their products are or in general are. There are certain things I can tolerate slightly better than others. I really need the other person to also be, or other people, whoever, whoever they are, to be willing to make it something that is accommodating uh, and accessible to me to be able to enjoy it. So there's there's literally countless ways in which that 
plays a role in our lives. How about when it comes to hookups or, you know, meeting partners for the first time or whether it's just casual dating, casual intimate relationships, easier, harder, different than those longer term relationships to ask for what you need to stay safe? I think that in casual dating and hookups, I think it can be in a way a little bit easier because you can do it in a way, or at least I tend to, where I let people opt out of it. If they're not willing to be a part of it, they're not willing to make things accessible to me. I'm not really interested in getting to know them or spending time with them. That's something I think I decided for myself a few years ago, where I just realized that there were so many people in my life who just didn't make it seem like a big deal, you know? And why was I putting up with people who made me feel bad about something that I literally couldn't change? It just isn't worth my time. And listen, I'm, I, me personally, and I recommend this to everybody else, don't have sex with someone who's not willing to keep you safe. They're not going to be a good partner to have in bed. They're probably not going to be that concerned with your pleasure or the experience that you're having in other ways. You can do better and you'll have more fun doing it. That's part of it. I think for me, when it comes to, you know, the way that I handle it going into it is like, if I have a dating profile, I'll put like allergic to fragrances. I enjoy breathing. Please be willing to accommodate. It's often a good conversation starter. People often don't understand it. I get a lot of really silly messages, typically from men. I date people of all genders. So it's interesting to see how there's a difference in, in the messages I receive about that, where people are like, does that include deodorants? Does that include detergents? And I don't know why people think there are exceptions to the rule when you have a sensitivity, but I tend to find that most people, especially because I knew that going into it, are really respectful. There's a lot of education that's done on my part. Um, and I often send them the link to the article that I wrote because it saves me time and energy. And it explains a lot of the stuff I'd have to explain because even if they're super willing to, there's a lot of times not a full understanding of what that means. I will say that one thing tends to trip people up a lot would be laundry detergent because people don't recognize that even if they haven't washed it recently and had previously washed it in a certain product, the smell will linger. And that's how these fragrance chemicals are designed. They are meant to stick around. It often takes a little bit of extra explanation to explain to people that like, you know, in order to be around you, like I need the clothes not to smell. And that can take several washes. It's also good if you have a space of your own to host people because it's really unpredictable to have, to know whether or not you're gonna be able to safely go to their place. I recommend that if you were going to go to their place, that that not be the, and I know this can be tricky um, with like, oh, if it was planning on being a one-time hookup thing, but that might not be the best strategy because kind of having a short trip to their place for some reason, maybe you're stopping by real quick or something just to kind of like gauge if that's a space that you might be safe in is better than planning this, this big epic hookup of some sort or this, you know, sexual encounter you're going to have only to get there and find out that you can't even stay in the room. Like feel it out first. I, I tend to just because I try not, I try to avoid putting myself in situations where I'm going to get really sick if I'm able to. Do you find that some folks just come to a point where if they're not in a long-term relationship that they just stop exploring options for sex and just become celibate just because it's really difficult to mm -hmm. be continually faced with illness. So do you find people just sometimes or often come to a point where they're like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. I think it's been a little bit trickier the last few years with COVID. I think, um, I know personally, I feel like I could handle the fragrance stuff. I could handle the pandemic. Doing it both together seems very overwhelming. You know, when you're avoiding people for like now multiple reasons for safety, it's just a little bit mind blowing. I haven't found a ton of people who have kind of given up on that as a whole, although I understand where that, com that thought process comes from. And if someone were to do that, I would get why. I tend to be like a compulsively social person. I'm very extroverted. So I know that that's something that mental health wise wouldn't work for me. And 
the people that I've worked with or spoken to tend to crave some sort of, I mean, I, not that everybody doesn't crave social interaction, but that hasn't gotten to the point where they were willing to give up on that entirely. It's a human need, would you say, to have physical intimacy? I think so. I think that we are social animals and I think it's really, I mean, I think, you know, if you think about how many people just from the pandemic alone were isolated during quarantine and how that, like, if you if you know anybody like that, who's had really the impact that's had on mental health over that period, it's for a lot of people I know it was really devastating. And I think that that's just because we're meant to be social and sexual. I mean, not everybody chooses to be sexual or has an interest in it, but I think everyone should have the option and if they want it. I wanted to invite you to talk a little bit about if you're open to talking about the group sex dynamic, what kind of challenges that can present because it might be on some people's radars. So a little bit of background is I also host um, before the pandemic and I hope to bring them back when it feels safe. I co-founded a business called Glittergasm Events that hosts sex positive queer play parties. My co-founder and I are both come from a sex ed background and wanted to have a really inclusive space for people to be able to explore in ways that felt comfortable to them. And so in those spaces, there are some non-sexual spaces so people can enjoy and be social if they choose to be. And there's like a PG-13 more makeout area, but there are full sex spaces. In order for me to be able to host the events, they are fragrance-free. Again, I don't spend as much time educating that community because it's not as many one-on-one interactions. So there has been a few issues where someone didn't notice the 7,000 reminders to be fragrance-free. I can only think of one person who came in from out of town, which I felt quite bad because they had traveled from, um, I live in the Philadelphia region, they had traveled from New York City. They had so much perfume on, I actually couldn't go up and speak to the person myself. So I had to send somebody else to talk to them and ask them to leave and shower and and come back with different clothes on. I think it's a little bit easier in those specific settings because they were a space where there was already pointed out in advance that fragrances uh, needed to be avoided. And people do that with varying levels of, of success. Uh, people's clothing, again, fragrances and, and detergents, you know, those things linger for quite some time. I think that sex in general, as long as that person's already willing to accommodate and depending on the setting, pre-planning is going to be your best friend here. That doesn't mean you can't do it at all. You just have to do some planning. Other things to consider would be like if you have a latex allergy, some people with chemical sensitivities, while a lot of people have like more contact issues with latex, some people have issues with the smell it gives off. So, you know, you want to make sure that the person leaves those at home so they're not accidentally opening up a condom or some kind of barrier that you're going to react. Same with, I believe that there are some I personally never bought them, but I think there's some scented lubricants out there. I know there's some scented condoms. Those are more flavoring. So I don't know if, you know, everybody reacts to them, but you know, something to keep in mind if that's something that you think you might be sensitive to. So those are some things to keep an eye out for. Also plan it in a space where it's going to be on a bed or fabrics of some sort that won't have fragrances in it. Perhaps asking the people to shower first if they do smell might be another great solution or better yet, take a sexy shower together and make it a fun thing. And then either ask them to use certain products or provide them for them. There's a lot of extra legwork involved in having fragrance and chemical sensitivities. And I'm sure anybody listening to this who has them would understand what I mean. You're constantly providing things for other people just so that they will use a product that won't make you sick in in any context, not just sexual, but it carries over. As we move towards winding up our chat, when do you think a sex therapist or a counselor can play a role in terms of these challenges around sex, relationships, chemical sensitivity? I think sometimes it's really helpful just to have another person to talk to about these things in a way that you feel comfortable being open and honest and transparent about. We as a society are not very comfortable talking about sexuality. Most people have never received sex ed. It's something that's kind of kept behind closed doors. If it's something that you're struggling with and you feel like you would 
benefit from having a conversation about it with somebody where you wouldn't be judged and somebody might be willing to help you navigate some of the trickier bits or the conversations. Therapists can be great or coaches or counselors of other sorts can be great with things like helping you come up with a little spiel that you can give to people. I know that when I first started developing sensitivities, not even really, it was actually a work-related issue. I sat down with my therapist at the time and literally came up with, how do I explain this to my coworkers? Because I really need them to stop wearing, like I need the person who sits next to me to stop wearing fragrances. Or I need my boss to understand that sometimes I need to step outside for a little bit. Also, if we start getting into more things like anxiety and depression, definitely therapist is like the right way to go for that. If it's more help navigating interpersonal interactions or suggestions, ideas, a coach would also suffice. But it's more mental health issues, I would recommend a therapist be the better recommendation for that situation. Thank you, Rachel, for everything you shared. It's really, really interesting. And maybe not on people's immediate radars, but I think it's really important to hear from you. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, I think it's a really important topic and I really appreciate you having me on to talk about it. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode of the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. Please stay with us for part two, featuring a chat with Jack Lehman from Come As You Are, a feminist cooperative in Toronto that sells sex toys that are safer for people with multiple chemical sensitivity. And just to mention, Jack was outside for our chat, so you'll hear some birds in the background. And at times the audio is a little bit off, but it's fairly minor. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, hi, Jack. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Would you like to uh, just recap or share anything about letting folks know who you are, where you're coming from? Sure. Uh, so my name is Jack Lehman. I'm a worker owner and member at Come As You Are. So we're actually the world's only cooperatively owned sex shop. I've been here for about 20 years and I've been the lead product buyer for about 15 or 16 of those years. So I have a particular interest in, you know, sexuality, gender orientation, uh, and then both from my personal experiences and my experiences working in the shop and helping customers, I'm definitely very familiar with MCS and uh, chemical sensitivities generally. Thank you for sharing that. So you are a person with, uh, who lives with chemical sensitivities. I do. Um, it is something that I have struggled with uh, since I was a child. I think I had a very hard time figuring out what it was I was sensitive to. Uh, I think that I've, I've largely, you know, for the most part, I've been able to get on top of it. I've gone through years where I don't seem to have the same sensitivity to chemicals that I sometimes do. But uh, anytime I have some sort of uh, adverse uh, immune system, issue, it comes right back. Yeah. Like I said, it's something that's been lifelong struggle for me. I understand. And thank you for sharing that. When we talk about sex toys, what kinds of things are we talking about? I know on the Kaya website, there are different categories, vibrators, dildos, yeah. strap-ons, harness. Sure. Anal sex toys, masturbation sleeves and rings. You don't need to go into detail about all of these, <laughs> but what are sex toys and who are they for? So we would consider almost anything that a person might use to uh, increase pleasure or sensation during sex to be a sex toy. So for us, it's not just things like, you know, vibrators or dildos. We also consider lubricants, some condoms to also be sex toys, but really it's any sort of device. Some people would consider it like a, an assistive device, formerly called uh, marital aids. 
uh, but we obviously not just for married people anymore. But yeah, anything that we incorporate into our sex lives that sort of isn't a person um, can be a sex toy. So, you know, for some folks that might be something you purchase in a sex shop. For some folks that might be an organic cucumber. Uh, who are we to judge? Right. And we're talking about sex toys for all kinds of people, right? For mm-hmm. LGBTQ2S plus folks. Sure. For gender non-conforming people. For everyone. Sure. And I think that's the thing that I've always really appreciated about Come As You Are is that it, it truly is a sex shop for everyone. And we often, you know, we'll hear customers walking by in the street and be like, oh, that's the gay sex shop or that's the feminist sex shop or that's the co-op sex shop. But uh, yeah, I mean, our sort of fans, friends, customers tend to be, you know, from all walks of life, from all the socioeconomic backgrounds, um, you know, queer people, straight people, cis people, trans people. Uh, there's something like quite universal in the way that we present sex information and products. So maybe we could talk a little bit about Come As You Are for folks who aren't familiar with it. You're based in Toronto. We are. And, um, maybe could you give us a little bit of a history of the store and the business and the yeah. philosophy? Yeah, so it's our 25th anniversary this year. We opened in 1997. Um, The shop was founded because, uh, actually, really because of toxic sex toys. So back in the day, most sex toys were made of kind of um, rubber, jelly rubber. They're plasticized rubbers, so they contain phthalates, other plasticizers, which a large number of people have uh, sensitivities to. But there was this burgeoning movement in San Francisco and elsewhere of really small-scale sex toy makers, mostly things like dildos, out of silicone. Now, silicone is amazing. It's as close to hypoallergenic as you can get. Um, Very few people are allergic to it. They use it as medical implants, that sort of thing. And there was nowhere in Toronto or even Canada that was selling actual high-quality sex toys that were widely available in the market. Um, It was founded, our shop was founded by Corey Silverberg and Carrie Gray. And uh, Corey is a noted sex educator um, and has done a lot of work in disability communities, has written some books around uh, sex education and disability as well. And Carrie is actually someone who makes strap-on harnesses um, in materials that are also non-toxic. So I think for them, it was a great opportunity to try to bring some of these non-toxic, high and you know, really well-made sex toys into Canada. And I think for Carrie to have a place to display and sell his goods. So it, it came together really nicely. And that was 25 years ago. As It was. And today, yeah. um, if people walk into the brick and mortar shop in Toronto or find you online, and I imagine people are buying your goods, safer sex toys from around the world. Absolutely. I mean, I would say that, you know, more than 60% of our customer base is outside of Toronto or outside of Ontario. Uh, so we definitely have folks all around Canada. We do have uh, some international customers, definitely some in the U.S. And I, I think the thing that's really different, you know, traditional sex shops kind of trade on sleaze and titillation and shame. Um, that's kind of their marketing. And there's sort of feminist sex shops. And we're definitely in the sort of feminist ethical sex shop genre. I would say that traditional sex shops prioritize the male gaze or men's interests above everyone else. I would say that most traditional feminist sex shops prioritize women's sexuality and don't actually carry a lot of toys or options for men. Whereas for us, we really try to be a feminist space that's open to all. So that does mean, you know, carrying, and and you'll actually know, like, you know, most feminist sex sex shops have something like 
like women's wears or Babeland, right? Like a really female centric. And for us, we always want to have a broader sort of, you know, uh, we want to have a much more inclusive vision of what our shop could be. And so come as you are, you know, it was sort of strategic to make sure that everyone felt like they could come as they were uh, and not just with their, you know, partner who was female or whatever else. So yeah, we really try to make sure that it's a really open and inclusive space, regardless of gender, sexuality, orientation. There's something for everybody for sure. Understood. And on the Kaya website, it reads, as a cooperative, we review all of the sex toys we stock and we refuse to carry products that are unsafe, misleading or unusable. And so when we're talking about unsafe in the context of our discussion for listeners who may have chemical sensitivity or Mm -hmm. know folks who do, you, those are the kinds of products you carry, right? And and that's a, a focus of yours? Absolutely. I mean, so, you know, when people hear that we try every sex toy before we stock it, they feel like, oh, everyone thinks that's like the most fun job. But the reality is most sex toys are terrible or harmful or poorly made. So, you know, it, it's not as glamorous. I think because people, we wade through a lot of you know, bad stuff to get to the good stuff. And we do want to really make sure that, you know, our customers really trust us. I think that we have a really unique relationship with the folks who, you know, visit the shop um, or online. And so we want to really make sure that the things that we're stocking, we, you know, we really stand behind and that they, they do what they're supposed to do. Now, not everything we stock is going to be safe for everybody. So, you know, we do have lubricants that have chemical preservatives, um, namely, you know, mostly parabens. But we also provide a lot of information, you know, including ingredients lists and shopping guides and, and in-store help so that we can figure out what people's needs are and then point them in the right direction. Uh, in our experience, our customers who uh, identify as having MCS or chemical sensitivities, you know, they know who they are um, and they are you know, happy to let us know. And then it's really easy to point people in the right direction. You know, even in the store, we have sort of shelf talkers right on the shelves there that have the ingredients in, in big print. Um, I don't know if you've, you know, ever been in the, uh, you know, the, the shopper's drug mart or the pharmacy, you know, trying to look at the ingredients on the back of a bottle, um, you know, that can be really difficult and stressful. And so we have everything right there. So people can also suss out for themselves, you know, what is in this product? Is it suitable for me? Right. And so if someone is buying a sunscreen or face cream or shampoo, for example, we know we mm-hmm. can go on the environmental working group and find out how it's rated. And and that's something that you're doing, right? You're providing a service for folks. And so Mm. what are you noted silicones, right? Is Mm -hmm. that, is that sort of the go-to should, should folks who are looking to buy sex toys, keep that in mind, silicone, silicone, silicone? You know, I think in this day and age, there's no reason to buy a jelly rubber product. So whether that's a vibrator or a dildo, you know, silicone has come down so far in price that it is actually um, either as affordable or almost as affordable as a toxic toy. So, you know, it's sort of a no brainer now. But, you know, if folks are interested in sex toys, like other materials that might be appropriate, would uh, we have a good selection of glass. Glass is amazing. It's close to hypoallergenic as you can get. Similarly with stainless steel. And we do carry a small collection of wood toys that have a uh, a non-porous hypoallergenic coating. Now, and I had I have to say, like I don't believe anything is hypoallergenic. I think that you know you can find someone who's allergic to everything. So we always, you know, when manufacturers say something's hypoallergenic, I usually like to put it in air quotes. <laughs> um, that is, chances are you won't react to it, but someone's allergic to everything or has a sensitivity. So you know, nothing's guaranteed, but 
I think I read a stat fairly recently that more people are allergic to water than to silicone. So it tends to be a really great option. Can I ask you to talk a little bit about maybe some of the most popular sex toys that are safe for folks with chemical sensitivity? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, for us, we don't talk about sort of the best-selling and most popular toys only because, you know, I feel like so often, you know, people do just like, what's the most popular thing? And and just because a lot of people like something, you know, it doesn't mean you will. <laughs> you know, everyone's so different, right? We have so many people who come in as their best friend who are like, you have to get the magic wand. You know, they're like, I have one, it's the best thing ever. Well, and it's true, the magic wand, you know, it's a very powerful vibrator. But I would say that, you know, half the world thinks it's the best thing ever. The other half thinks it is way too powerful and they buy it and it winds up being a back massager. But, you know, having said that, the magic wand is a classic. Now, the classic magic wand does have a vinyl head. So it does mean that, um, you know, vinyl does have chemical plasticizers in it, but they've updated it. So now the magic wand plus and the rechargeable are ABS plastic in the body and then the head is silicone. So again, it's a really great non-toxic toy. Uh, we would heartily recommend anything from Fuse Silicone. They're actually a Canadian company located just outside of Peterborough, Ontario. And they have been making like high quality body safe sex toys, think, I think for now more than 15 years. A really great small ethical company really cares about their customers and they only work with medical grade silicone. And then in terms of lubricants, you know, if you're someone who has um, multiple chemical sensitivity, but you don't have a lot of like other allergies, you know, like say to flax or aloe, that sort of thing, then something like a lubricant from Hathor Sutil would be great. They're a Victoria-based lube maker. It's actually a mother-daughter team. And, you know, I cannot imagine making lube with my mom, but like, isn't it so lovely that someone in the world has that kind of relationship with their parents that they make these really amazing organic lubricants? All of their stuff is chemical free. It's all, you know, so tested. So it's a really great option. But, you know, we do divide people into sort of different categories in terms of like, you know, there are people who have just a lot of allergies to things. And there are folks who are specifically sensitive to chemicals. And some people may experience both. But we do find that our recommendations for MCS folks is actually kind of different than folks who kind of have more broad-based allergies. So if folks jump on the Kaya website, they can take a look around, obviously, and reach out to you and ask some questions if needed. Oh, yeah, please do. Yeah, we love we love questions. I mean, people can reach us via email or phone or come in the store or, uh, you know, social media. We're, we're widely available. And if you check our website, you'll notice on like the category pages. So if you're in the lubricant page or the dildo page, there's filters along the right side of the page. And so you can actually specify if you want toys that are phthalate free or lubricants that are paraben free. It's just a little checkbox. So then you can really, really quickly like go from a list of like 50 products to like the 25 that you know will work for you best. Just to take a step back. What are some of the advantages of using sex toys for folks who may not be familiar or may have never encountered them before? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, in the in the bubble that I live in, you know, sex toys are obviously really commonplace. I've worked here for a long time. I talk about sex toys sort of freely and often. And it is easy to lose sight of the fact that, oh, yeah, for most people, sex toys aren't part of their everyday, <laughs> you know, aren't part of their everyday lives. So we really truly believe that sex toys can change the world and can be a way to experience pleasure and sensation where sometimes our bodies aren't able to access that on our own or sex toys can heighten those experiences. So a couple examples, you know, people often say to us, 
oh, you know, I don't need lubricants. And, you know, it's not really a matter of needing lubricants or not, but reduced friction between bodies, no matter what sexual activity you're participating in, is a positive thing. All forms of, of sexuality, all forms of sex tend to feel better with lubricant. So a lubricant test is a really fundamental, you know, really basic sex toy. So everyone should have some. And then also as people's bodies age, you know, folks do need things like, um, say like a, a daily, like a vaginal lubricant daily. So after people go through menopause, then you can see a really like practical medical health benefit to using a lubricant. And then similarly with, uh, you know, we find that a lot of folks who are disabled find things like uh, vibrators are a great way to say increase sensation, especially for folks who have like diabetes or MS. There's a lot of different ways that people can actually have experience reduced sensitivity, to, you know, to their genitals and other areas. And vibrators are really great, great way to kick up that sensation and to make orgasm possible. And even things like strap-ons, like I think people sort of feel like strap-on harnesses or dildo play are kind of like the purview of, of lesbians. But in reality, we find so many of our cis heterosexual cu couples, you know, they'll actually buy a strap-on, you know, maybe for pegging, you know, for their, say, male partner, but often really just to have a spare. So that is, you can, you know, you can use your natural God-given equipment to have sex, but at some point, you know, everyone does get tired. So it's kind of nice to have something else to kind of continue the play. So I think that sex toys really like overcome these very natural human limitations to what our bodies can or can't do, whether you identify as someone with a disability or not. You know, sex toys just kind of make it much easier to get in touch with desire, to experience pleasure, to increase sensation. And do you see it as an accessibility issue when we're talking about folks with chemical sensitivity? Do you f see it as a case where folks with MCS have been unable to access or use these products for a long time? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's horrifying to think about what used to be in sex toys and a lot of everyday household products as well. I think that the world views MCS folks as a bit of a minority, but you know, I actually believe that we're all chemically sensitive. You know, whether we're aware of it or not, you know, I think some people do have more like overt symptoms of MCS, but I have no doubt a toll is, you know, happening on everyone's bodies. And so whether or not they're connecting other stuff that's going on with their bodies with their exposure to chemicals, I 100% believe that we're all impacted by it. And I think it's really unfair that the onus is put on, you know, actively symptomatic people with MCS to be advocating for safer, you know, products in all industries, right? Not just sex toys. Yes. And do you feel that what you're doing at Kaya is quite unique in, in terms of making these products accessible for folks? And do you, yeah. ship, do you ship globally? Can people? We do. Yep. Anywhere can order from your store. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, even for folks in other centers, like, you know, if you inform yourself and, you know, you figure out which which brands are safe, which aren't, you know, you can walk into any sex shop, but, you know, do not rely on what people in retail stores are telling you. I mean, maybe aside from our own, because it's not so much that they mislead intentionally, but, you know, manufacturers put out a lot of incorrect information. So legally, a product only has to have 10% silicone in it to be considered a silicone sex toy. So a lot of folks will go store buy a silicone sex toy only to discover it's loaded with phthalates because legally there is there are there's no regulations around this stuff so you really have to find like a trusted retailer or manufacturer 
do your research. You know, often people who work in sex shops are just, you know, really have been you know, trained poorly, have bad information. So it's really important to do your own homework. Well, thank you very much. I think listeners are really going to benefit from hearing from you. And I've learned a, a lot. So thank you so much. Amazing. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. Thank you to Rachel Rose and Jack Lehman for joining me. The podcast is produced by me, Aaron Goodman, Danny Penaloza, and Emma Bolsner. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode. We release new episodes twice a month. And follow us on social media. Just search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast or Podcasting MCS. And get in touch. If there's someone you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast, just let me know. Email me at info at chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. I'll definitely respond. And thanks so much for listening.